Hi, everyone. My name's Jackson. I'm here with Omar, my co-host. We are talking some more college football here on the Hardware Podcast, uh, following what was a very controversial uh, college football playoff ranking Tuesday, uh, which I am joyous about, but Omar uh, has some disagreements with the placement of some certain SEC East teams. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go ahead and uh, go ahead and go straight into it. Omar, let's take a look at these uh, weekly awards. Yeah, so uh, a trend I noticed uh, with the weekly awards is I think I think the way that – I think the thoughts that go into naming players like the Maxwell Player of the Week or the Walter Cal- or Walter Campbell, Walter Camp Player of the Weeks, um, it's a bit skewed because you have the big names, you play the dominant performances – but um, take, for instance, um, the first weekend of December when you had Rice beating Marshall in their first ranked victory since 1997, you know, back in the WAC days. Um, you had Rice's linebacker, uh, Blaze Aldridge, had 10 tackles, half a tackle for loss in the pick, one of five interceptions for the Owls against that day of Grant Wells. Yet that week for uh, the, the Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week, Michael McFadden, who had a solid game in his own right in a nationally relevant game, he had nine tackles, six solo, two tackle for losses, and two sacks against Wisconsin. Like that, that's a great performance. But I mean, it just it just wasn't as groundbreaking, I think, as um, the Rice performance. And you, know, you also bring up the uh, Maxwell Defensive Player of the Week and the Bednarik uh, uh, Player of the Week. That was um, Nate Landman, who um, sorry, I'm looking at his stats here. He had 16 tackles against Arizona. 12 solos, three and a half stops for loss and a sack, which are really impressive stats. But you take everything into account with Arizona being a pretty poor team out in the Pac-12. Granted, this was before their 77 shellacking. But I really think Blaze Aldridge got robbed. And another guy for Rice you can put in is uh, Naeem Smith, who brought the offense for the Owls when they were lacking. He had to pick six and three tackles. So why not name one of those guys uh, the Maxwell Depot? I'm not going to try to pronounce that again. The defensive player of the (laughs) and um, the Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week. So I think, like, stuff like that should be taken into account, like, you know, groundbreaking performances as a team and who led the way for those. Right. I mean, I think leadership is a big part of that is kind of if you're watching that Bryce performance, kind of who was the leader of that? And hopefully that usually lines up with the statistical, uh, whoever's outstanding statistically. Uh, It doesn't always happen if you can only give it to one guy you hope it would go to to kind of that leader that kind of rallied of that particular game um yeah I mean it's a tough decision I mean a lot of these guys played excellent you just read off those stats I mean the guy who didn't win it had a pick six and three tackles so like I mean it's just uh you know a uh excellent performances just pretty much all around but uh yeah I mean it's it's tough with these weekly awards awards thankfully they're not, uh, you know, chiseled in stone. Uh, I mean, they are, but it's not going to be – it's not the end of the world if they kind of mess it up. But hopefully we can see a little bit more accuracy with these end-of-season awards. Yeah, so another example um, we were discussing beforehand is with uh, Amari Jones and Tulane. Um, Tulane had their win against Nate, against Army, excuse me, on uh, November 14th. And at that week, Army was ranked 25th in the coaches' poll. And this was Tulane's first win against uh, – any ranked any a team ranked in any poll since '84. We know about the heartache they felt first at SMU, and then later in the year against Tulsa. My heart feels for the Tulane fans, uh, you know, because Army hasn't been an AP ranked team since '71, and it hurts every time we lose to an AP ranked team. But um, 
you know, without further ado, Amari Jones, um, was, I thought he was snubbed from the Horning Award. So the Horning Award's a newer award, more obscure for the most versatile player in college football. And um, Amari Jones' stats will say this. He had 60 rushing yards and five carries, so he had good explosiveness and a touchdown. He had a kick return for 14 yards, which isn't, like, too great, but, again, shows his versatility and a catch for six yards. And you look at the guys that made the, the uh, honor roll for the week because that's the unique thing about the Horning Award. They don't give it to one guy. They give it to a list of guys. Um, Michael Carter for, for North Carolina, you know, touch ball 21 times, three different ways. That's great. You know, the guy that's kind of iffy for me is Louisiana Monroe's uh, wide receiver, Perry Carter Jr., who had a great game in his own right. He had four catches for 124 yards, and he carried the ball twice for 20 yards, and he returned a couple punts and kickoffs, but his team lost by 18 and uh, that sort of nightmarish year to uh, Louisiana Monroe. I mean, all due respect to Perry Carter, great player, but uh, I think that's a guy you can e easily like take out there. Um, you know, another guy too. They had um, actually, I, I think that's where it is because they had Zonovan Knight and of course Mo Mo Ibrahim, who returns kicks and um, runs runs the ball pretty well for the Gophers from Minnesota. So I mean, that's just another instance. Originally, I had thought that Mike Pratt, the quarterback, the freshman wonderkind, for um, T Tulane should have been uh, the player of the week, the Maxwell player of the week, but he only had 199 passing yards, and that was the week where uh, Sam Howell went off for 500-plus yards and six touchdowns. So it would have been a harder argument there. <laughs> just just a little. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, those are, those are some outstanding performances. Amari Jones sounded like Cordell Patterson, just, like, doing everything around there. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if it makes you feel better, Omar, going to Army and not beating a, a coach's poll ranked team since, what do you say, 61? Uh, yeah, almost beat Oklahoma and Michigan. So, if that's a consolation prize. Almost doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut yeah. it. <laughs> For such a winning culture, it, Army really brags about those losses. So, um, Yikes. Hey, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to catch heat from any, any of my friends in the football team. Uh, or the yeah. Football team, but, <laughs> yeah. No. Credit for a great win. And I guess that's another point this week, too. So, like, I'm not sure who won um, the Maxwell Player of the Week for um, defensively or Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week. But, I mean, why not give it to one of the, you know, one of our cadets here? You know, uh, whether it be yeah. John who recovered the fumble, uh, the fumbled pitch in the red zone for an Army offense that was really struggling. Or uh, even, um, I forget who got the safety, but why not, you know, make those guys co-player co of the weeks for something like that. That safety was more on Navy than it was on that cadet, but I mean, <laughs> that, that's uh, true. Hey, he still tackled them, so in the paint. I'll find his name really quick so I can give him some love. Johnny, John Radigan, you know, great nickname. They call him Johnny Nation. I'm not sure why, but you know, <laughs> it, it just gets the people going, you know. It, it's it, yeah, on a, on a CBS appearance, it, it did, for sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, Marshall, or uh, sorry, geez, Jackson, you know, when the, when, the, <laughs> when was the last time that Army shut out Navy in a Army Navy game? You know, just a quick quiz question here for uh, Oh, gosh. Um, I saw the stat everywhere on social media for the game. Oh, man. I want to say like 92. Am I? Oh, no, 69. You know, 69. Okay. And uh, another another uh, great stat of note in that game was Lynn Moore set the record for um, most rushing yards in an Army-Navy game that stood for over 30 years, I think, um, with 206 yards on 40 carries. was really a workhorse in that game. Um, but, yeah, Darian McDonald got the safety. So why not make him co-player of the week along with John Radigan? I mean, I'm not sure who. Yeah. I could be barking up the wrong tree and getting mad for no reason. But, <laughs> you know, first shutout of Navy since 1969, you know, since uh, – I'm not going to attempt to say the president, or since I guess that's the Johnson administration, is that Nixon? 
whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to make myself. This isn't a history podcast. So yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> but yeah, that, that just goes along with our theme here. Like why not, you know, credit these guys for historical accomplishments. And that's a history major me coming out, I guess, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, um, there were some excellent performances. College game day being together. Uh, maybe not for national implications, but at least, uh, at least sentimentally, the biggest game of the week by far. Um, just in you know what a what a huge uh, performance just up there, and uh, glad you guys could get the shutout for sure. Uh, coming back yeah. to the point. Awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of CBS. Um, this year, I think for the first time since um, I think 2006 or seven, uh, the SEC title game will be broadcasted in prime time. Um, pretty interesting decision uh, on the part of CBS, considering they, I mean, they haven't done it since then. But um, I think this is good for the conference, and I want to know your thoughts. You know, as a me, I hardly watch SEC. It's like eating. <laughs> I want to know your thoughts, Jackson. So I've got a couple different things. So I think that if we're looking at just this week, right, uh, just this week, as far as the landscape of college football, taking the broadcasting, everything, just the time slot, I love the night slot. Like, that is awesome. Having the primetime game, everyone's back. They're kind of watching, chilling out. It's going to be by far, hopefully, a very competitive game in Florida's favor. Um, but uh yeah it's awesome brings a lot more attention to it i feel like um but my question is why change now like you've been doing 330 almost the entire season you had that one weird aaron murray call with like florida and tennessee i think previewing alabama uh, lsu so like why change now um and again i don't mind it i actually like it a lot being in the primetime slot but I just don't understand why are we kind of changing that part of that huge identity of the SEC on CBS best game from the best conference is uh, being that three thirty Eastern standard time kickoff. And why are we changing that now? Like, I, I just don't get that. We have that one exception every year that CBS gets in that contract, but um, yeah, it's an interesting move. The better game is Notre Dame Clemson. So I kind of feel bad for ABC getting that uh, four o'clock slot instead when that's, that's uh, probably going to be the better game. So yeah, um, I like it. And if it's a sign to come of anything with that new SEC ABC contract that I'm, I can't wait for it to start. It's going to be awesome um, to have Chris Fowler as opposed to Gary Danielson. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. It just it's kind of like a weird change, and I'm I'm curious. Is this kind of like them testing out the market to where maybe in that last year or two of the the CBS contract, maybe we're going to start switching to more primetime games? But yeah, I mean, you know, for this week, I can dig it. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I think um. So here's me, the group of five guy, me like seeing how you know I can you know benefit the group of five with this idea so you look back at when um the sec title game used to be a primetime telecast what preceded that game the army navy game usually in most years so you don't have that you know in this this year of course and then in following years even though they could have let in with um air force army but that game was originally supposed to be on cbs that would have been cool a cool lead into the sec title game so i missed that that would have been cool yeah. yeah, yeah, like I figure, like why not have a lead into that game in future years, especially with uh, the comp or with uh, CBS Sports Network, um, and possibly even like big CBS since they broadcasted that Marshall game early in September. 
why not have the Conference USA Championship game be a lead-in, like a 4 o'clock start, compete with uh, – because in usual years, I don't think uh, ABC will put the ACC title game uh, or the Big 12 title game at a 4 o'clock. They might put the American title game in that slot. Why not have those two group of five title games go at each other and give the Conference USA more exposure? You know, uh, there's big markets there. That's uh, – like it or not – I think this might have backfired for Conference USA and their expansion strategy back in the mid-2010s. But there's a lot of big markets there. You, have, you own – okay, you don't own Miami, but you have a good part of Miami with FAU and FIU. You have the Birmingham television market with um, UAB. And I know Alabama fans hate, uh, you know, hate UAB or UAB fans hate Alabama because UAB is the redheaded stepchild. No offense to any redheads. But um, – and then, like, there's just plenty I've of – I've never people. heard of that one before. <laughs> yeah, there's like there's like a beef. Um, when uh, UAB got shut down, there was like a beef between like some like UAB like backers and whatnot, some like speculation. But there's like they've got Texas markets too on the west. Like there's big markets, so like why not try to use them um, with CBS? So I think it's interesting you bring up like these markets. I think for uh, I saw on on College Football Live the other day them talking about Cincinnati and I think they're ranked went down a spot this week to nine in the recent playoff rankings. If they're in, uh, if they're in any power five conference, Cincinnati is much more talked about and much more respected. Think of how great that market is. And Cincinnati um, just, uh, that would be awesome, but it's just because they just get punished for being a group of five. When in reality, if they could make that transition, man that would be an incredible market and such a more respected football team yeah and it always seems like with the with these uh, urban schools like you know just thinking about it the american is a is a big market conference and you got a lot of these like schools in the metropolitan areas that have a hard time you know you know just like starting off with a good tradition they're competing with pro teams or the campuses just aren't there because of their locales like it's it's a good point you bring up there and i think that shows in conference usa too we have like UTSA starting up their program in the early 2010s, which we'll get to UTSA later. UAB starting off or um, bringing up their program up to FBS in uh, the late 90s. Um, just like stuff like that. It's just hard to, you know, start up schools like in these big markets harder than you think. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Um, yeah, I, I, you're right. Startups are, are going to be hard for those programs. Uh, they kind of build excitement, especially if you have an NFL team or any kind of professional team in that market area that uh, already kind of defines the sports scene of that city. But, hey, there's college football fans everywhere. So college game in New York City proved that in the, the least friendly college football uh, place in America, it seems like. And what a huge crowd that was a few years ago. So, yeah, um, there's, there's college football fans everywhere. But maybe for a new team, yeah, you're right. That, that is kind of difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an upward fight, to say the least. Well, I mean, speaking of CUSA, you know, not just about the markets, but there's actually good ball being played there, you know. It's not just Marshall and, uh, well, I guess, UAB, even though UTSA got screwed. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to – I've made a lot of friends on Twitter, uh, UTSA fans, just, like, for taking up their cause because they, they just got screwed by the league offices, in my opinion. There's no way a 4-1 team should get in over a 5-2 and two team in conference, but – Anyway, well, well, speaking of, uh, of Conference USA, Tyrell, Tyrell Pigrome, if that name sounds familiar, he uh, started the game against Texas for Maryland, where Maryland beat Texas at a Darrell K. Royal. Uh, yes, he's floating around at Western Kentucky, but he's having a very historic year under the radar because, well, he plays for uh, Western Kentucky, you know. 
Um, but this year, Pigrome has nine touchdowns and no picks and over 200 passes. And only one quarterback ever, as far as I know, according to the NCAA record book, has done this before, and that's Matt Blunden for Virginia in 1991. And I think, I think he was snubbed for the uh, Johnny Unitas Golden Arms semifinalist. And I, and, I mean, yes, you have, like, a lot of big names here, but we're talking, like, something historical that probably won't happen for, like, the next – 50 years or like 20 years at least with the guy not throwing any picks. And I don't want to jinx him before the lending tree bowl, um, you know, for, for the season, you know, like uh, I want to know your thoughts on, on this Jackson, you know, whether he got, whether you think he got snubbed or, um, you know, if this award shouldn't be as much for like historical accomplishments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, more than 150 passes and no interceptions. That's, that's a very impressive list right there. Um, I'd love to know, I don't know off the top of my head, I don't see on our notes here, what is that um, completion percentage for him? Do you know that by chance? Um, it, w- it was in the low 50s. I can pull it up really quick. On okay. Yeah, so not, not atrocious, not, not, not terrible, <laughs> um, not great either. Uh, what gets me is like the nine touchdowns. Like no interceptions is great, but I'd, I'd rather have like a, a Kyle Trask with like 38 touchdowns and five interceptions than, uh, than, you know, no interceptions and, and a handful of touchdowns. But yeah, I mean, is it enough to be, uh, cause that's, that's an, a stat that hasn't been made in a long time for a reason, because it's a very difficult thing to do, no matter what your completion percentage is or no matter how many touchdowns you've been thrown. I'd like to know if we're looking from like kind of a scouting perspective, are you not perspective? Are you not taking enough risks? You know, are you just always playing the safe ball? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's something that should at least get you a semifinalist. Should he like be a finalist or win? I don't think so. Not over some of these guys like Ian book and Trask and Jones, but uh, should he be on the list? Yeah. He should be recognized at the, at the very least. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree, you know, his stats sort of indicate that, you know, there's not a lot of risk there because he averages um, per attempt 5.4 yards per attempt, um, and he's completing 58% of his balls, but he's got 154. He's averaging, he's actually averaging less than 10 yards a completion, so that kind of gives you a look into West Kentucky's offense. They have a good running game. Pigrom's had some great running games, which, um, well, I guess pretty good, which I'll go into detail in a second here. But there's just not much risk in the offense. But you can't deny, like, that he's, like, the right quarterback for, like, the way they play ball. Because lately, Western Kentucky's defense has been incredibly strong. Like, um, starting the, Ch- the Chattanooga game, they've allowed uh, 10 points, I think, three times through the last five games. And then they allowed 19 and 21 in the last couple games. And the couple games where they didn't allow um, less than 10 points. Um, so he's like, the, he's like the guy, he's managing the game and he's just not making mistakes or something to be said for that. And plus he's sort of, he's brought it against like elite competition to some degree. I mean, you know, it was kind of fun looking at common opponents with the candidates. Cause like there, there wasn't much crossover being like conference USA and like power five. Um, Pigrome had, had 129 yards and a touchdown pass with 68 rushing yards, 90 non-stack rushing yards against Louisville. Um, Shoot, I didn't put Ian Book stats. That's my mistake. But, for instance, Derek King had a much more flashier game with, with 18 of 30, 325 yards, three, uh, three touchdowns. Um, of course, Trevor Lawrence as well didn't put him down. <laughs> my mistake. But, against he's, like, he's played some quality performances against, like, great teams. Like, Liberty, he had 181 yards and three touchdowns um, and 74 rushing yards, which they lost by one score. So, you know, you can't say that Western Kentucky lost that game because of Pigrome. Like, Pigrome made some plays and got out there. Against BYU, not so much. 106 passing yards and one touchdown, but 23 rushing yards. But 
you know, I, I just think, again, just like for the sake of history, like when are we going to see this again in this day and age of like so much passing, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're right in that there's a lot of passing now. Uh, and so, yeah, it's an impressive stat, and I'm, I'm glad we're at least giving him some recognition um, to, to Mount Blondin. But, yeah, um, I, I now that we're talking about this, I kind of want to watch the Western Kentucky offense to see exactly what kind of system, what kind of scheme they're doing here because they're doing something right. So, Yeah, I think, I think it's just a short pass. It's just like, you know, reading that stat with like um, – you know, just like less than 10 yards per completion. I'm pretty sure it's just like short passes and like they have a good downhill running game, which Pagrom uh, can right. do a good amount. I think on the year, looking at his stats rushing, he has, sorry, just bear with me for a second. He has uh, 328 rushing yards. And of course, like sacks are accounted for, or, you know, are taken out of his rushing totals. But, um, you know, they allowed him to make some plays. But um, yeah, like, I mean, you know, I, I take the I take the um, the cause the group of five. You know, it's it's a it's a very tiring cause. You know, like sticking up for the group of five. But um, you know, I, I think again, if this were a power five player doing this, like I I think I take a side as well. You know, because like no picks is no picks. And it's only been done once before. Right. Absolutely. It would be all over. You couldn't you couldn't get away with it. If there was any power five player doing it. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome. My God, we're bringing him that recognition, and, and uh, hopefully, uh, there's there's some kind of award that we can <laughs> we can hand to him uh, at some point because he's he's been doing an awesome job. I guess that's where we make our own award. You know, the Hardware Podcast. Uh, you know, Offensive Player of the Year or like History Maker of the Year. You know, we can we can we can probably make something up and hopefully get a Tyrell no picks. Pick, I don't want to jinx him. No picks to Rome on a, on the podcast. Um, but but speak- we should just have like on right after the college football award show on ESPN. We should just have our own hot, hardware podcast <laughs> exclusively group of five in Florida. So- <laughs> oh, in Florida, okay. You gotta, you gotta Florida. Hey, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, I I'd, I'd be down. Maybe not Florida, but I I'd be in- <laughs> be intrigued. You get the idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I get the idea. <laughs> but uh, moving on to our next Cusa, uh, Cusa Groundbreaker, we have uh, Sincere McCormick, who, um, if you don't know the name, you know, he plays for UTSA, Texas San Antonio, out in the, out in the Alamo Dome. And uh, he's a semifinalist for the Dope Walker. He has 1,345 yards and 11 touchdowns in 11 games, five 100-yard games and one 200-yard games. But, um, you know, he's had, like, he's had some really good games. Like, um, one, I think it was 197 against uh, North Tech – or not North Texas – um, against Texas State and over 200 against North Texas. So he's had some quality games. Competition hasn't really been there except for BYU, which he was mostly quiet in, 42 rushing yards. But UTSA, if uh, you're following the college football landscape, especially bowls, UTSA, their bowl game, the Frisco Bowl originally was canceled due to SMU COVID issues. So we don't get a, the Texas football championship for college football this coming Saturday. But instead, believe it or not, they upgraded to uh, playing the first responder bowl which not only is against a Big 12 team, likely Texas Tech or Kansas State, but it's on ABC, the bright flashing lights of network TV. So I want to ask you, Jackson, like, do you think uh, the, the Walker Award announces their uh, – the Doak Walker Award announces their finalists on the 21st? So he might not make the cut, but if McCormick makes the cut, do you think that he can be helped by a performance against a Power 5 team on ABC on a Saturday too, granted? Um, it absolutely can't hurt. 
for sure being an, a, an ABC appearance in, a, in the first responder bowl. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it definitely can help his appearance. What I would really like to see from him in that game is a multiple touchdown game, only having 11 touchdowns for the season when you have guys like Najee Harris and Brees Hall with 17 or 22 touchdowns. Uh, yeah, he's going to need some help, like at least two, hopefully three or four touchdowns in that performance. If he could pull off just one Jarrett Patterson game, then yeah, um, absolutely. He could, he could sneak in there. I would also like to see this weekend uh, – well, I personally would like to see a bad Harris game and for McCormick's sake, maybe a bad Hall game that uh, maybe they could sneak in there that uh, – because especially Hall and ETN uh, – I'll go ahead and throw ETN in there too. ETN and Hall, if they kind of have a very lackluster game, maybe no touchdowns, a shade over 100 yards – yeah, absolutely. With the outstanding performance by McCormick, we could definitely see him sneak in. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's tough, though, too, because, like, they do have the advantage of, like, the guys like Hall, you know, who I wouldn't mind seeing Hall as, as a finalist being from Iowa State with, like, the great year they've had, even though I do have qualms with Iowa State's ranking in the college football playoff. <laughs> I won't go over that. <laughs> <laughs> even though, like, I mean, Brees Hall, like, having a great year uh, for the Iowa State team, I, I, will, I would like to see him as a finalist. I think they got to put Patterson for, like, the transcendent performances that he's had in such a little time, uh, 400 rushing yards. I think, uh, you know, to be in the ranks of, like, LaDainian Thompson, Melvin Gordon, greats like that, like, you got to put him there. I think it leaves, like, a third spot. Like you said, maybe. I mean, maybe Harris has it sealed as, like, the third finalist with 22 touchdowns, which, like, you know, blows my mind, which kind of throws fire to your Mac Jones debate. You know, I know you love hating on Mac Jones because he's got such a great supporting cast, which throws fire on that debate. But I just I just don't know if a, if a bad game against Florida is enough to kick Harris out because he plays for Bama. It's all about the name on the back, as we see in the college football playoff, because Georgia's number nine, even though the best win is against five-win Auburn. I digress. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, it's all about the name on the back. And, plus, he's having an actually, an amazing year with, with 22 touchdowns in 10 games and 1,084 yards. Like, you know, I, th I think he's a finalist. But, I mean, I'm rooting for McCormick. I will be watching that first responders bowl for sure, you know, just for the intrigue and, you know, the group of five on, a on ABC. What gets me about McCormick is having more carries uh, than, than Brees Hall who uh, just has an absolute workload over there at Iowa State, yet less touchdowns than Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, apologies if I'm saying that wrong. You're running back out of Minnesota. I don't quite get how you have that many carries. And is it just as a whole for UTSA, red zone inefficiency? Like what exactly is going on there that you, you have so many attempts and you have almost 1,400 yards in 11 games, yet only like 11 touchdowns. I, I just don't understand quite what that efficiency, why that's happening. And I mean, we, we definitely need to see a multiple touchdown performance to see if, if he has any help with sneaking in there. Because you're right, the name on the back is what matters for a lot of these things, especially for the uh, voters that don't do all that much research. So he's going to have to just go off like Patterson has the past couple of weeks in order for him to get noticed. Yeah, and I can't really answer that question for you. Like, just like I haven't watched UTSA that much aside from the Army game, which uh, McCormick had over 100 yards. And I think, um, you know, in a weird kind of like tertiary type way, uh, Army's, Army's game against uh, – Army's defensive performance against Navy in America's game, holding the Navy offense to um, 108 rushing yards 
And aside from Xavier Arline's huge 50-yard run in the third quarter, which made me nervous in the core cadets, um, you had like 50 yards on like about 30 carries. That's it. You know, for Sincere McCormick to have um, a performance of over 100 yards, 16 carries, efficient against the defense, which pretty much everyone knows. I mean, the Sports Business Journal came out. The TV ratings for Army, Army Navy, surprisingly, no offense. I mean, it's usually the, it's this, this hasn't been the case where 2008, since 2008, where it's been where the Army Navy game's been pit against a good, uh, you know, sort of a heavy slate, like in a watch game where people know that the Army defense is great and they look at the stat and say, Sincere McCormick had 133 yards on 16 carries. This guy's elite, you know. I think in a weird way, you know, that kind of helps him out. And like, I'm not saying that because I'm biased, but it is interesting you bring up like the whole touchdowns thing because I think part of it as well is um, they have a, a pretty a, a big quarterback, uh, Frank Harris, who has eight rushing touchdowns himself. So I think, oh, I did not know that 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 changes things. Yeah, <laughs> I just looked at it. Like I think um, who I mean, he's having a, Harris is having a good year running the ball as well, like uh, 5.7 yards a carry on uh, 77 carries, you would take away sacks, like that That yards per carry goes up and the yards go up. Like, um, you know, it's just like splitting up the opportunities, I think. I think that's why we're like Hall's the go-to guy, Harris is a go-to guy, not so much with McCormick because you got, you know, a big-bodied quarterback running for touchdowns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it could be kind of like a Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson situation where you're splitting carries with the running back and it just – or with the quarterback. And just it's not that two running back system, but it just doesn't doesn't pad your stats for sure if you're not the go-to guy in the running game, or if you're having to split that the responsibility. Yeah, I mean exactly. Like I mean, I I think touchdowns might be a, li- a little bit overrated because uh, I know Christian McCaffrey in his 2015 year had like a low amount of rushing touchdowns because Stanford kept handing it to a bigger back, Raymond Wright, you know, by the goal line, and so that guy Wright had about 10 touchdowns, and McCaffrey had I think like nine or ten but like not as much as you would think so I mean that that's always I wouldn't say it's a problem because it gives that team more options but it's you know for awards voters they see that and they I guess it kind of turns them away for a lot of running backs it's what you do between the 20s that matters and it, it sounds like McCormick's doing great at that unfortunately those don't get on sports center so that's yeah. <laughs> issue with a lot of these things unfortunately if you're conference USA that also doesn't get on sports center too yeah yeah well that that's true that's true. <laughs> I'm done with the group of five crusade. You know, that's all you have to hear from me, Jackson. Make my group of five crusade this week. <laughs> Can I keep going on my Florida crusade? Even sure. After? Yeah. Why? Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, yeah. Uh, hopefully McCormick goes off in this first responder bowl. Uh, one of the bowl games I've attended. It's awesome being there in the classic cotton bowl. A lot of fun went back there. It was Southern Miss Washington a year before Washington made uh, the Rose Bowl in the playoff. So, or no, it wasn't the Rose Bowl in the playoff. It was the uh, the Peach Bowl. Yeah, you're right. It's Peach Bowl against. But it, was a, it was a Rose Bowl rematch. It was a, it was a Rose Bowl. Yeah, Bowl. that's right. <laughs> it was the year before that. So that that was awesome to see them be a first responsible champions. But uh, got some free Zaxby's too. Oh, <laughs> always a win. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, that's, uh, I think that wraps it up for what we were going to talk about. The Doak Walker coming over those main ETN Hall, Harris, Patterson, McCormick, those over everything I'm going to go for uh, the Walker. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, we'll just see like with these games this week, uh, how much the conference uh, championships play. Cause like we usually see like guys play themselves into Heisman finalist status, like Trey Mason, 20, uh, 2013 high, uh, 
SEC title game where he had like he went off against Missouri and you know a guy that wasn't on many people's radars for the Heisman ends up in New York so you know you never know who that guy could be this year yeah absolutely absolutely and uh just one little wrap-up piece of trivia I have uh you, you probably didn't miss this last night on Monday Night Football unless you were just drooling over Trace McSorley the first four times that they said this stat uh, it had nine rushing touchdowns on Monday night football between Cleveland and Baltimore last night. That's only happened two other times in NFL history. You know what years that happened? They mentioned it on the <laughs> 15 times. I saw the stat, you know, like I was, I was, that was a very one Monday night game I was watching, you know, I had no homework. It was 1922. Uh, the yeah, Stapletons. I think it was the Rhode Island Stapletons or something like that. That's that Staten Island, I think. Staten Island? I think. I don't know. Was it Staten Island? I don't know. Rock I, Island. I know Rock Island is one of the teams and the Louisville. That, those are the two that I caught on. Yeah, but man, what a game. If you loved offense, if you don't love offense, then that was not the game for you. But what a classic game. Ironically, it was the first Monday night or Thursday night game I didn't fully watch. Oh. But or not. So I really uh, did not luck out on that one. I was wrapping Christmas presents. So, yeah. Going to wait another time for that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, awesome. Well, enjoy uh, your rare prison break. And I am going to enjoy a not-so-rare homeworkless night now that I'm at Texas Tech. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, you know, it'll be fun. You know, I'm I'm trying to to find things to do. Might start another – Wrote, might start another a journey to the Heritage Bowl <laughs> in Man, the next 30 days. I would watch it. I've got nothing better to do on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So, please, go go <laughs> do that. So, yeah, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your night. I cannot wait for these college football awards. And, man, what a weird year for a lot of these. Yeah. going to be interesting. Yeah. I did not think one stat we'd have to have is the number of games by each of these stats that they did. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for next year and we can get a little more uh, reliability. And, you know, hopefully it, it shakes us up and brings a little bit more attention to the group of five. And then uh, hope maybe that'll stick for next year. But the way these playoff rankings are going, it doesn't look like it. So. Yeah, I mean, until next time, brother, um, and, and viewers and listeners, we'll see you. And, um, you know, enjoy championship weekend and uh, peace, love, and everyone.